Well, hello everyone. Welcome to Wednesday night. This is why we have the Psalms. So here we are. We are now in week 12. So I think I had the number off last week. I think we're in week 12. We've been at this a while. I have my coffee ready to go. I have a little bit different setup here tonight than what I usually do. And if you wouldn't mind, just leave me a comment. Let me know that everything sounds good and everything is coming through okay. And then we're going to get uh, going with tonight's lesson on, uh, well, tonight's conversation on Psalm 137. Looking forward to that one. But before we do that, um, I wanted to share with you some things I'm reading because summer is a great time to read. And so those of you who are part of the Spiritual Direction Group on Mondays know that we are um, going through Nowen's Spiritual Direction. We figured out the uh, tech problems that we were having. So dummy me, I didn't hit uh, a button that I should have hit, and now I figured it out. I say dummy me, I'm learning, right? So it's a whole new day using some new software, but I worked on it today and I got it to work. So that's great. And uh, so it should be better on Monday. So love Nowen's book. This one is going to be, it's a little more uh, theological in nature. Uh, it's for the life of the world. And it's Miroslav Volf and Matthew Crossman. And uh, this is a solid um, book on the role that uh, Christian thinking is meant, uh, can play in the world. So he actually has some really insightful thoughts on um, the polarization of uh, conservative uh, thinkers and more uh, liberal thinkers and um, sort of the benefits and drawbacks of each. Uh, this is one that I just started reading and just finished it today. And I would say this is a good one. This one's good for the pool. This one's good for the back porch. This one's good for morning coffee times. Uh, it is called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry by John Mark Comer. And so I think it's a good book. And the subtitle, I think, describes it well. How to Stay Emotionally Healthy and Spiritually Alive in the Chaos of the Modern World. So he diagnoses the problem of hurry. Uh, he's glomming a line that he picked up from John Ortberg, who glommed it from Dallas Willard, where um, Ortberg asked Willard, what do I have to do in order to really um, live a, a, a deeply Christ-centered spiritual life? And uh, Willard tor told John Ortberg, you must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. And then there was a long silence, and he said, okay, what else? And Dallas Willard, the great philosopher and Christian thinker, said, that's it. So uh, hurry is a great enemy of the Christian life, and uh, I am really good at hurrying. And so I learned a lot in this book, and he goes over four uh, practices to help you eliminate hurry from your life, and I've already put some of them to practice in my life. This is probably, uh, I won't compare because they're different. I'll just say I like this one. Um, I'm making my way through Dream With Me by John M. Perkins. Um, Perkins uh, uh, is and uh, was a civil rights leader and I had the, the honor of meeting John Perkins in, let's see, sometime in 2018 at Wake Forest. I heard him preach, and I've never heard another preacher like him. 
and he is very pastoral. He's also very clear in his thinking, and I think it's a timely book for us. Dream with me, race, love, and the struggle we must win. There's actually a Switchfoot song written about uh, John Perkins and one of his lines. I'm about to get into this one. It's going to be more academic, more heady, um, but it's again Miroslav Volf, um, Croatian theologian, uh, and his uh, book here is classic is Exclusion and Embrace, a Theological Explanation of Identity, Otherness, and Reconciliation. So I keep a few books going at a time. My friend who recommended this said it's going to be a bit of a slog, but it's worth reading. And then this one, another one that's really good for the pool uh, or the back porch or your vacation, if you get one of those, is Kill the Spider getting rid of what's really holding you back by Carlos Whitaker. And I kept seeing photos of my editor at Zondervan, uh, Carolyn McCready. She was posting photos of herself with, uh, with Carlos and pictures of this book. And I thought I'll pick it up. And uh, I'll tell you, it's a really good book on dealing with the underlying issues uh, that hold you back. So often what he says is we, it's like, it's like you keep swatting at the cobwebs tearing down the cobwebs that get in your way, when in reality what you need to do is uh, to kill the spider. So, lots of books going on there, and um, I hope that you're growing through reading or listening, whatever it might be. And now, I think that it's a good time. We've got a good group joining us here this evening. So, welcome to all of the usuals that I see in here. So glad that we have usuals, and so many more watch it throughout the week. So, I think we're good. I think that the tech is working fine. I'm going to keep going, and somebody let me know if things break down along the way, and then I'll call for help. All right, Psalm 137. I'm reading uh, from the ESV, as I do, and the title of this one is By the Waters of Babylon. And uh, I think that people over the age of 30 might have just heard a Bob Marley tune going off in the recesses of their imagination. If you don't know what I'm talking about, then maybe you should Google Bob Marley by the waters or by the rivers of Babylon. I forget uh, the phrase that he uses. I was listening to it earlier today to the point that people told me you're listening or singing that too much. You need to stop doing that because you can't sing. So Psalm 137, by the waters of Babylon, there we sat down and wept when we remembered Zion, that is Jerusalem, on the willows there we hung up our lyres, those are harps. For there our captors required of us songs, and our tormentors mirth, in other words, they demanded songs of joy, saying, sing us one of the songs of Zion. And how shall we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? If I forget you, O Jerusalem, let my right hand forget its skill. Let my tongue stick to the roof of my mouth. If I do not remember you, if I do not set Jerusalem above my highest joy. Remember, O Lord, against the Edomites the day of Jerusalem, how they said, lay it bare, lay it bare to its foundations. O daughter of Babylon, doomed to be destroyed, Blessed shall be he who repays you with what you have done to us. 
blessed shall he be, takes your little ones and dashes them against the rocks. Well, that's a little heavy, isn't it? So this is what we might classify as, some would say it's a song, a psalm of ascent, one that was written or sung or prayed as they were making their way up to Jerusalem, ascending, but uh, it's likely that this was written during the time that they were in Babylonian captivity uh, or right after the time they were in Babylonian captivity. They were in exile. There's really two big um, moments in the memory of Israel, and uh, one of those is going to be the exodus out of Egypt toward promised land, and the other is going to be once they've acquired promised land and been taken into captivity on foreign soil, that would be exile. So exodus and exile, those are kind of two big uh, markers, and a lot of the prophets, a lot of the writings just center around those things, exodus and exile. So once you kind of get that straight in your mind, you can see that a lot of the Psalms are going to be talking about some of those uh, references. And here, um, this is perhaps classified the type of psalm it is. Uh, you could say it's a lament, a corporate lament. You could say, um, I believe the word is imprecatory uh, lament. It actually calls down curses at the end of it. Um, as you saw in Babylon and all of that. Um, but it's, it certainly has the tones of lament. It's, it's grief. It's an outcry. It doesn't mean we're going to be depressed tonight. We're not going to be depressed tonight. But we're going to walk through this one because uh, it's, what, it's what we have. It's what we're going to learn from tonight. So uh, the people of God have been taken captive into exile. The wounds are fresh in their hearts, fresh in their minds. And here they find themselves on foreign soil. Their emotions are running amok. They're experiencing corporate trauma. Their whole sense of identity is really being called into question. Imagine if you and your family were uprooted from American soil and against your will transplanted into another nation or even into another state or even into another city. You would find yourself sitting in a new topography, a new geography, and you would find yourself longing for home and the memories that you have of home. And we see in this psalm the grief of the loss of the normal, and certainly we've lost some normal, and comfort and religious identity, although what we go through you know, here is nothing compared to what they went through there and then. We see the power of memory, and we see the expression of anger and rage. We learn that grief and anger are part of the healing process, and we learn that remembering God is an act of resistance against violent oppressors. So verse 1, by the waters of Babylon, there we sat down and wept. There we remembered Zion, Jerusalem. So as I said, they're on foreign soil. They're thinking of home. They think of home with their families. They think of home with God. And when they remember their homeland and when they remember life with God in their homeland, they weep. I know that it can be difficult to remember even good times whenever the things that were a part of those good times are gone. So 
Christmas can be difficult for so many who've lost a loved one or Mother's Day or we're coming upon Father's Day. I'm going to be delivering the message on this Sunday. So many, so many memories of the past, even good memories, because they're tied to people and places, they can cause a certain amount of grief. And it's even more so whenever you find yourself removed from those memories forcibly against your will. You know, it could be like being stricken with a terminal disease that just upends your entire life. And you look back on things that you've loved and cherished and held on to and you can weep. And that would be a normal expression. And so I think that's some of what they're feeling here. It's, it's like there doesn't appear to be much hope. And yet they're holding on to what hope they have. And here they sit by the waters of Babylon. Even, even the new waters remind them that they're not on their home soil. They've been uprooted, but they haven't been replanted. They're far from home. They're exiles. So they weep before God because it's hard. And weeping was the appropriate response. You see, some people would say that the Christian life is just happy, happy, joy, joy, all the time. Happy, happy. But I, I have little room in my experience of God and my theology for that type of thinking. Because I think that's a denial of reality. And I don't think God is asking us to deny reality. Because sometimes life with God is hard and it calls us into weeping. And we weep our way through the pain into joy. And so even tears are part of a mature spiritual person's experience. That we don't shun them, that we don't shun the lament, that we don't shun the pain, that we don't shun the grief, that we don't shun even moments of despair, we can weep our way through them because Jesus wept his way through them as well. It says he was a man of sorrows. Sometimes I think that we get an image of Jesus. Maybe it's from TV, maybe it's from Christian books, how to live your best this or how to whatever. And there's a lot of great truth in those books. But very few people write books like how to experience sorrow like Jesus did. And yet, I think that's why some people get so confused in their walk with God is because when things are hard, they don't, they don't have language for it. They don't have spiritual practice for it, for the hard times. And actually, you do have spiritual practice for the hard times because the Psalms are right here. This is why we have the Psalms, for times of joy and for times of lament. So verse 2, on the willows there we hung our lyres. I always want to say leers. I don't know why. We hung our harps. So they hang their instruments on the trees as they weep by the rivers of Babylon. Singing is out of the question now. What's ironic to me is that even though singing is out of the question right now, they write a psalm about their inability to sing. So it seems like they were able to get some perspective some distance 
they were able to Google out a little bit and write a song, a psalm, a prayer set to music. They were able to write a psalm about their inability to sing a song. So it's a little bit of a paradox. It's a little bit ironic to me as I read that. I thought, here they are writing a song about not being able to sing a song. So either they had moved beyond it and they got some perspective, and all of that weeping had, had turned into something creative. You know, we see, we see in times of upheaval, we see in times of unrest, we see in times of shaking, we see in times of corporate trauma, and I think that we're going through some of that in, in our country, both with the pandemic and both with the, the uh, unrest surrounding um, racial divide and uh, inequities and injustice. And I think, I think what happens during those times, as you look back over the past, is some of, some of the greatest art, some of the greatest creativity actually emerges out of this as a prophetic statement against the thing that had happened or as a way of saying that was not as it should have been. This is how it can be. So it's not to look for a cause or a purpose or a reason. This is happening so we can make great art. That's stupid. What I am saying is in times of, of great upheaval, in times of trauma, the byproduct of that is often great creativity and clearer perspective. And that's really what the prophetic is. The prophetic isn't a predicting of the future as much as the prophetic is the ability to comment on the present as it might could be were God to have his way in that situation. That's what the prophets do. The prophets call out the injustice. The prophets call out the inequity. The, the prophets wrote about this very moment and gave language for this very moment. The prophets are the one who see with clear eyes, and so are the psalmists. And it's why we need our psalmists across the land. It's why, it's why worship of God is so important. It's why we need fresh songs right now. It's why we need people that, that are poetic to, to, to put to music some things that will give language for what's going on in our hearts and what's going on in our country. This is why we have psalms and this is why we need psalmists right now to give language to what's going on. And sometimes art and songs, paintings, poetry, film, dance can do that better than what teaching and prose and sermons can do. And yet we need them all. And we all work together on these things. So in time, we can see that the pain will be something they'll remember and write about. Even sorrow is turned to joy, but this is no time for singing happy songs. And really, that's one of, it's one of the things that I think we've lost in, in the church. Um, let me say the non-denominational or the Pentecostal charismatic church in so much as I'm aware of it in, in the United States. I can't claim to speak for much outside of that. And I can't even claim to speak for all of that. But in, in churches, I'm not talking about our church. I'm talking about in churches like what we are part of. I think that we've lost the art of lament. And perhaps in an effort to provide um, hope, which is good, 
and to uplift and to encourage, which is good. Listen, uh, I, I worked outside of the church for nearly four years and I needed to come on Sunday morning. The last thing I wanted to hear is some poor schlep droning into the microphone about how bad life is. But lament isn't about how bad life is. Lament is laying bare your heart's pain before God and to God so that God can act on that. And I think that, that, that to a certain degree, we've kind of moved away from that a little bit. I think it'll swing back, but I think we've moved away from that a little bit. I remember there was a song at Brownsville when I was saying, Pastor Charlie would know it. If he was here right now, he could play it up on the keyboard in this minute. Um, and it was, uh, it was called Lord Have Mercy. And I won't sing it for you, but it, it says something like, something like, in peace we come to pray. And then it talks about to have the desire to have all of our sins washed away for, um, for, for something related to God's hand to move for the healing of our land. And then the course is just in this minor key as much as tone deaf me can discern minor from whatever. It just says, Lord, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. For we have placed our hope in you. A lament is a placing of your hope in God amidst the hurt that you're going through. And so with all that we're going through right now, we, we don't need to sing those songs every Sunday. <laughs> not, not in any church, right? You don't need those. But, but there are moments that it seems like we, we need a psalm. I'm not, even, I'm, not, I'm not talking about necessarily the songs we sing. We need a psalm of lament. Pastor Phil did that a couple of weeks ago when he just laid his heart bare and just grieved the, the racial injustice that's going on in our country. I think we're doing that work. I just, I'm, I'm talking a little broader. I think that, that we need every now and again just to hit our knees and, and, and weep before God, both alone and, and maybe even together. And Brandon led us in that a few weeks ago. But it's very, it's very normal. It's healthy to do that. It's, it's the reason that a whole diet of Scripture is really, I think, important. Um, so just putting that out there, Walter Brueggemann who is um, a real expert on the Old Testament, he says, he warns that serious religious use of lament psalms has been minimal because we have believed that faith does not mean to acknowledge and embrace negativity. We have thought that acknowledgement of negativity was somehow an act of unfaith, as though the very speech about it conceded too much about God's loss of control. Let me read that part again. We have thought that acknowledgement of negativity was somehow an act of unfaith, as though the very speech about it conceded too much about God's loss of control. To the contrary, psalms of lament are indeed expressions of faith in God. After all, they are directed to God, rather than simply complaining to others about God. Psalms of lament give us language before God for the pain we're going through. Songs of lament do that. Sermons of lament do that. And so while, while I think that we're a part of a congregation that does that, I, I don't think that's the norm. So I'll just put that out there. Um, my rabbi friend was telling me this week, that for the first year after somebody's loved one passes away, that the beloved who's left behind 
says the mourner's prayer every Sabbath. Wait for it. For one year. Every Sabbath, when a wife who's lost her husband goes to the synagogue, she prays the prayer of the mourner for one year because grieving is part of the process of healing. So here they sit by the rivers of Babylon, along the highways and byways of American streets. Today, many sit by the rivers of Babylon. We need happy songs, but we need the ability to sing an honest song about how we feel. And happy is not how the church should always feel. Number three, verse three. For there our captors required of us songs and our tormentors, mirth, they demanded songs of joy, saying, sing us one of the songs of Zion. This is like salt in the wounds. The captors are like, throw in those, uh, what do you call those things? Those little firecrackers that you can throw and they just pop, 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 pop. It's like they're throwing them at the feet and they're like, dance, 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 dance. How deplorable of an image that the powerful, provoking and taunting the captives. They're mocking them. In verse 4, how shall we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? Well, just to recap, you can't. You can't, you can't sing the song of joy, of victory. You can't sing the Lord's song in a foreign land. You can't sing any song whenever you're that low, it seems. One day you'll sing a song. But if you were to sing a song, it would be a song of lament. Verse 5, if I forget you, O Jerusalem, let my right hand forget its skill. Verse 6, let my tongue stick to the roof of my mouth. If I do not remember you, if I don't set Jerusalem above my highest joy. Although they can't sing a song in a foreign land, they can remember. If we forget God, if we forget what God has done, not only will we not be able to sing a song in the hard times, we won't be able to sing a song in the future because we, 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 won't, we won't have language for it. I guess what I'm trying, if we forget God, we forget what God has done, we will not envision a future beyond our despair. We'll only sing sad songs and nobody wants to sing ballads forever. So you need to be able to remember God what God has done in the past so you can envision what God will do in the future. That's what I was trying to say. So verse 7, and here's where it gets a little, a little tough, right? But we've been here before. Remember, O Lord, against the Edomites, the day of Jerusalem. Remember what these people did is what he's saying. How they said, lay it bare, lay it bare to its foundations. O daughter of Babylon, doomed to be destroyed, blessed shall be... Blessed shall he be who repays you with what you have done to us. Blessed shall he be who takes your little ones and dashes them against the rock. Well, that's awkward. But as we've said before in times like this, it's better to pray it out than to act it out. The pathway through grief can lead through anger, and that's okay. The Bible just says in your anger, don't sin. It doesn't say don't be angry. In your anger, don't sin. In other words, don't dash other people's children against the rocks. But it, it doesn't say that you 
you can't have the desire for revenge. It doesn't say that. It just says that you can't seek revenge because vengeance is mine, says the Lord. So this is a very American idea that they're putting out right here. Repay you based on what you did to me. Now, whether you agree with it or not, politically or whatever, you, you, you knock down our towers and, and run a plan into our Pentagon, we're going to light you up like the 4th of July. We're going to have Toby Keith write songs, and we're going to put a boot on your rear because it's the American way. Now, I recognize I live in a military community. Thank God. I love our military. I love our military women and men who are listening to this right now. I'm not making any statements about you or your job. I'm not making any statements about the morality of war. I'm not making any statements about just war. I'm not even making any statements about Toby Keith. Should have been a cowboy. What I'm saying is it's a very American idea. You mess with us, we're going to bring this pain to your doorstep. That's how they sorted it out. I'm just trying to let you know this is like, uh, it's not a new idea. <laughs> it's not a new idea. You bomb us, we're going to bomb you only harder, right? So now what we have to do is we have to ask ourselves the question, is that the way of Jesus? Well, it, that, that, that's, that's not exactly a Jesus idea. What Jesus would say is something like this. If someone slaps you on, uh, let's see, if, how, how does it work? If someone slaps you on your right cheek, turn the left to him also. Well, what he didn't say is if someone slaps you on the right cheek, just fall down. Mm -mm. He also didn't say if someone slaps you on the right cheek, just slap him back on the right cheek and then kick him in the shin. What he said was turn the other cheek to him. Because if you slap someone on the right cheek, if I'm facing you, my right hand, that's what I would have slapped you with, I guess I would have slapped you, that would be your left cheek. I think that's how it goes. My right hand, I slap you. At any rate, you turn the other one, and the other one requires that it punches, that you punch them. I may have the left and the right wrong. doesn't matter. The point is, if somebody's going to slap you, which is how you would treat a slave, what you do is you turn the other one, which they can't slap you with that one, so they have to punch you. So he's not saying fall over and be just a doormat. And he's also not saying just tit-for-tat violence. What he's saying is there's often a third way. And that takes some creativity and some prayer. You can't let people just run over you and take your children and smash their heads against a rock. You come and try and smash my children's heads against a rock, I'm going to shoot you with a slingshot in the forehead and hope that you know it doesn't hurt too bad. But um, that's just biblical. It's David and Goliath. Simple Bible stories. But there's often a better way. And so the way of Jesus leads us beyond this. Now, in tragic times, grief and anger are appropriate responses. Because without them, we are silent. And silence in the face of injustice is complicity with the evil being enacted. So, I'm thankful. Somebody comes knocking on door, our door as a country. I don't, I don't want our leaders to be silent. I don't want our military to be silent. Like, protect us. That's what you do, right? So God's given you the sword for a reason. Now, when it comes to interpersonal dynamics, we have to talk about the way of Jesus. There's a difference there between the sword and the state and everyday Christian practice. But in times of tragedy, in times of grief and anger, the appropriate response isn't to say nothing and do nothing. The appropriate response is to grieve and sometimes to be angry. Sometimes to be outraged. 
There's a lot of outrages going on in this country, and you know this. You see it. You, you, you open up ESPN, and there's outrage. You open up Facebook, and there's outrage. You open up Fox or CNN or OAN. Is that what the guy got in trouble for? There's outrage. Outrage everywhere. Everybody's outraged. A lot of it's justified. And a lot of outrage that we're seeing is not going to help people process the anger. So even in our outrage, we have to ask the Lord to lead us in such a way that our outrage is seeking redemptive ends. Now, I'm not going to tell anybody how to express their outrage when they've been victimized. I'm talking very broadly here. A lot of people are angry about a lot of different things. But each person is responsible for her, her and or his response. And the lament of the Psalms shows us that grief and weeping and even anger are part of the process, but not anger that leads us to ultimately dash a baby's head against the rock. And you can use dashing baby's heads against rocks as a metaphor for, you know, whatever, slashing, you know, somebody's key in somebody's car because they stole your girlfriend, right? Whatever. Find healthy ways of processing that. But you ultimately don't just be like, please slash my car again. So the psalmist, we could say, hated so much because he loved so much. For survivors of injustice, ancient and modern, to express, express grief and even outrage is to live all the way. And one day, hopefully we'll be in a place where we can write psalms about these days to where we found some reconciliation, some hope, some healing. But I, I think that, that we've got to walk through it. And we walk through it with Christ as our guide, with the Holy Spirit leading us. And so this is why we have the psalms. I'm certain that had I thought through every line a little better, I could have said some things better, and I'm always open to learning and listening and growing. And ultimately, I, I hope that my heart comes through for those who are experiencing pain, however it is. And I hope that we as apprentices under Jesus would learn to use our voice in such a way that we're able to, um, to lament and to grieve and not to ignore, and not to walk away from pain, uh, but to do it in the way of Jesus. And that's going to look different in each home. But it, it needs to look like something. And so as you go through pain, as you walk through hurt, as you experience grief and trauma, um, we have language for this. Psalm 137. We sit by the waters of Babylon and we weep. But the weeping lasts for a night, a season, a period. And joy comes in the morning, maybe not the next morning, but some morning, maybe even resurrection morning, when Christ makes all things new. And when the boot of oppressors is no longer upon the backs of victims, when swords are beaten into plowshares, when all things are made new, starting now. This is why we have the Psalms. God bless you, my friends. Good night.